0: Welcome back to another soothing episode of the Sleep Easy Podcast. Whether you're a returning listener or a newcomer, I'm delighted to have you here with me. I'm your host, L. And together we're about to embark on a journey of relaxation and tranquility. This isn't your typical podcast that demands your full attention. No, this is the kind of podcast you turn to when the world is winding down and you're seeking solace in the embrace of a peaceful slumber. In those quiet moments at the end of the day, As your head hits the pillow, your mind might start to wander. The thoughts that arise can be like pesky fireflies, flickering in the darkness and keeping you from the rest you deserve. Maybe you're replaying conversations, composing mental to-do lists, or fretting about matters that you can't control at this very moment. That's where I come in. My mission is to be the gentle whisper that guides your thoughts away from the stresses of the day. I'll be the white noise that envelops you, gradually leading you into a state of calmness that paves the way for a peaceful night's sleep. Before we delve into tonight's soothing content, Take a moment to subscribe for notifications and follow the Sleep Easy podcast. While my goal is to help you drift into slumber, I also hope you'll return for more episodes and perhaps share this experience with your friends. New episodes are released every Thursday, and many of our listeners have found comfort in queuing up a few episodes to ensure they have a restful reserve whenever sleep seems elusive. For additional insights and special offers from our sponsors, visit thesleepeasypodcast.com. It's not just a website. It's a place where you can reach out to me and share your ideas for upcoming episodes. Your input is invaluable as we strive to create content that caters to your relaxation needs. Let's take a moment to discover some fascinating tidbits about Bertrand Russell, the author of tonight's essay. Bertrand Russell was a polymath whose intellectual prowess spanned a myriad of fields. Born in 1872, Russell was not only a philosopher, but also a mathematician, logician, social critic, and political activist. His thirst for knowledge led him to make groundbreaking contributions to philosophy, particularly in the areas of logic and the philosophy of language. Beyond his academic pursuits, Russell was known for his advocacy of pacifism and his outspoken views on social justice issues. Russell's writing was characterized by its clarity and accessibility, making complex philosophical concepts accessible to a wider audience. Now, as you nestle into a comfortable space, Envision the calming words of Bertrand Russell gently guiding you through the landscapes of thought. The essay, Knowledge by Acquaintance and Knowledge by Description, comes from a paper read before the Aristotelian Society and published in their proceedings for 1910 to 1911. It invites you to explore the nature of knowledge itself all while embracing the tranquility that our podcast provides. So, let the soothing tones of my voice and the profound wisdom of Russell's words create the perfect atmosphere for a perfect night's rest. Close your eyes, breathe deeply, and let the journey begin. Knowledge by Acquaintance and Knowledge by Description The object of the following paper is to consider what it is that we know in cases where we know propositions about the so-and-so without knowing who or what the so-and-so is. For example, I know that the candidate who gets the most votes will be elected though I do not know who is the candidate who will get most votes. The problem I wish to consider is, what do we know in these cases where the subject is merely described? I've considered this problem elsewhere from a purely logical point of view. But in what follows, I wish to consider the question in relation to theory of knowledge as well as in relation to logic. And, in view of the above-mentioned logical discussions, I shall, in this paper, make the logical portion as brief as possible. In order to make clear the antithesis between acquaintance and description, I shall, first of all, try to explain what I mean by acquaintance. I say that I am acquainted with an object when I have a direct cognitive relation to that object. In other words, when I am directly aware of the object itself. When I speak of a cognitive relation here, I do not mean the sort of relation which constitutes judgment, but the sort which constitutes presentation. In fact, I think the relation of subject and object, which I call acquaintance, is simply the converse of the relation of object and subject, which constitutes presentation. That is, to say that S has acquaintance with O is essentially the same thing as to say that O is presented to S but the associations and natural extensions of the word acquaintance are different from those of the word presentation. To begin with, as in most cognitive words, it is natural to say that I am acquainted with an object, even at moments when it is not actually before my mind, provided it has been before my mind and will be again whenever occasion arises. This is the same sense in which I am said to know that two and two equal four, even when I am thinking of something else. In the second place, the word acquaintance is designed to emphasize, more than the word presentation, the relational character of the fact with which we are concerned. There is, to my mind, a danger that, in speaking of presentation, we may so emphasize the object as to lose sight of the subject. The result of this is either to lead to the view that there is no subject once we arrive at materialism, or to lead to the view that what is presented is part of the subject once we arrive at idealism and should arrive at solipsism, but for the most desperate contortions. Now I wish to preserve the dualism of subject and object in my terminology, because this dualism seems to me a fundamental fact concerning cognition. Hence I prefer the word acquaintance, because it emphasizes the need of a subject which is acquainted. When we ask what are the kinds of objects with which we are acquainted, the first and most obvious example is sense data. When I see a color or hear a noise, I have direct acquaintance with the color or the noise. The sense datum with which I am acquainted in these cases is generally, if not always, complex. This is particularly obvious in the case of sight. I do not mean, of course, merely that the supposed physical object is complex, but that the direct sensible object is complex and contains parts with spatial relations. Whether it is possible to be aware of a complex without being aware of its constituents is not an easy question. But on the whole, it would seem that there is no reason why it should not be possible. This question arises in an acute form in connection with self consciousness, which we must now briefly consider. In introspection, we seem to be immediately aware of varying complexes, consisting of objects in various cognitive, and cognitive relations to ourselves. When I see the sun, it often happens that I am aware of my seeing the sun. In addition to being aware of the sun, and when I desire food, it often happens that I am aware of my desire for food. But it is hard to discover any state of mind in which I am aware of myself alone, as opposed to a complex of which I am a constituent. The question of the nature of self-consciousness is too large and too slightly connected with our subject to be argued at length here. It is difficult, but probably not impossible, to account for plain facts if we assume that we do not have acquaintance with ourselves. It is plain that we are not only acquainted with the complex self-acquainted with A, but we also know the proposition I am acquainted with A. Now, here the complex has been analyzed. And if I does not stand for something which is a direct object of acquaintance, we shall have to suppose that I is something known by description. If we wish to maintain the view that there is no acquaintance with self, we might argue as follows. We are acquainted with acquaintance, and we know that it is a relation. Also, we are acquainted with a complex in which we perceive that acquaintance is the relating relation. Hence, we know that this complex must have a constituent, which is that which is acquainted. In other words, must have a subject term as well as an object term. This subject term we define as I. Thus, I means the subject term in awarenesses of which I am aware. But as a definition, this cannot be regarded as a happy effort. It would seem necessary, therefore, either to suppose that I am acquainted with myself, and that I, therefore, requires no definition, being merely the proper name of a certain object, or to find some other analysis of self-consciousness. Thus, self-consciousness cannot be regarded as throwing light on the question whether we can know a complex without knowing its constituents. This question, however, is not important for our present purposes, and I shall therefore not discuss it further. The awarenesses we have considered so far have all been awarenesses of particular existence, and might all, in a large sense, be called sense-data. For, from the point of view of theory of knowledge, Introspective knowledge is exactly on a level with knowledge derived from sight or hearing. But, in addition to awareness of the above kind of objects, which may be called awareness of particulars, we have also, though not quite in the same sense, what may be called awareness of universals. Awareness of universals is called conceiving and a universal of which we are aware is called a concept. Not only are we aware of particular yellows, but if we have seen a sufficient number of yellows and have sufficient intelligence, we are aware of the universal yellow. This universal is the subject in such judgments as yellow differs from blue. Or, yellow resembles blue less than green does. And the universal yellow is the predicate in such judgments as, this is yellow, where this is a particular sense datum. And universal relations, too, are objects of awarenesses, up and down, before and after, resemblance desire, awareness itself, and so on, would seem to be all of them objects of which we can be aware. In regard to relations, it might be urged that we are never aware of the universal relation itself, but only complexes in which it is a constituent. For example, it may be said that we do not know directly such a relation as before. Though we understand such a proposition as this is before that, and may be directly aware of such a complex as this being before that. The view, however, is difficult to reconcile with the fact that we often know propositions in which the relationship is the subject or in which the relata are not definite given objects, but anything. For example, as we know that if one thing is before another, and the other before a third, then the first is before the third, and here the things concerned are not definite things, but anything. It is hard to see how we could know such a fact about before unless we were acquainted with before, and not merely with actual particular cases of one given object being before another given object. And more directly, a judgment such as this is before that, where this judgment is derived from awareness of a complex, constitutes an analysis and we should not understand the analysis if we were not acquainted with the meaning of the terms employed. Thus, we must suppose that we are acquainted with the meaning of before, and not merely with instances of it. There are thus at least two sorts of objects of which we are aware, namely particulars and universals. Among particulars, I include all existence, and all complexes of which one or more constituents are existence, such as this before that, this above that, the yellowness of this. Among universals, I include all objects of which no particular is a constituent. Thus. The disjunction universal particular includes all objects. We might also call it the disjunction abstract concrete. It is not quite parallel with the opposition concept precept because things remembered or imagined belong with particulars but can hardly be called precepts. On the other hand, Universals with which we are acquainted may be identified with concepts. It will be seen that among the objects with which we are acquainted are not included physical objects as opposed to sense data, nor other people's minds. These things are known to us by what I call knowledge by description, which we must now consider. By a description, I mean any phrase of the form a so-and-so or the so-and-so. A phrase of the form a so-and-so I shall call an ambiguous description. A phrase of the form the so-and-so in the singular I shall call a definite description. Thus, a man is an ambiguous description and the man with the iron mask is a definite description. There are various problems connected with ambiguous descriptions, but I pass them by, since they do not directly concern the matter I wish to discuss. What I wish to discuss is the nature of our knowledge concerning objects in cases where we know that there is an object answering to a definite description though we are not acquainted with any such object. This is a matter which is concerned exclusively with definite descriptions. I shall, therefore, in the sequel, speak simply of descriptions when I mean definite descriptions. Thus, a description will mean any phrase of the form the so-and-so in the singular. I shall say that an object is known by description when we know that it is the so-and-so. In other words, when we know that there is one object and no more, having a certain property. And it will generally be implied that we do not have knowledge of the same object by acquaintance. We know that the man with the iron mask existed and many propositions are known about him. But we do not know who he was. We know that the candidate who gets the most votes will be elected. And in this case, we are very likely also acquainted, in the only sense in which one can be acquainted with someone else, with the man who is, in fact, the candidate who will get the most votes but we do not know which of the candidates he is. In other words, we do not know any proposition of the form A is the candidate who will get most votes, where A is one of the candidates by name. We shall say that we have merely descriptive knowledge of the so-and-so when, although we know that the so-and-so exists, And although we may possibly be acquainted with the object which is, in fact, the so-and-so, yet we do not know any proposition, A is the so-and-so, where A is something with which we are acquainted. When we say the so-and-so exists, we mean that there is just one object which is the so-and-so. The proposition, A is the so-and-so, means that A has the property so-and-so, and nothing else has. Sir Joseph Lamar is the Unionist candidate, means Sir Joseph Lamar is a Unionist candidate, and no one else is. The Unionist candidate exists, meaning someone is a Unionist candidate and no one else is, Thus, when we are acquainted with an object which we know to be the so-and-so, we know that the so-and-so exists, but we may know that the so-and-so exists when we are not acquainted with any object which we know to be the so-and-so, and And even when we are not acquainted with any object which, in fact, is the so-and-so. Common words, even proper names, are usually really descriptions. That is to say, the thought in the mind of a person using a proper name correctly can generally only be expressed explicitly if we replace the proper name by a description. Moreover, the description required to express the thought will vary for different people or for the same person at different times. The only thing constant, so long as the name is rightly used, is the object to which the name applies. But so long as this remains constant, the particular description involved usually makes no difference to the truth or falsehood of the proposition in which the name appears. Let us take some illustrations. Suppose some statement made about Bismarck. Assuming that there is such a thing as direct acquaintance with oneself, Bismarck himself might have used his name directly to designate the particular person with whom he was acquainted. In this case, if he made a judgment about himself, he might be a constituent of the judgment. Here, the proper name has the direct use, which it always wishes to have, as simply standing for a certain object, and not for a description of the object. But if a person who knew Bismarck made a judgment about him, the case is different. What this person was acquainted with were certain sense data, which he connected rightly, we will suppose with Bismarck's body. His body as a physical object, and still more his mind, were only known as the body and the mind connected with these sense data. That is, they were known by description. It is, of course, very much a matter of chance which characteristics of a man's appearance will come into a friend's mind when he thinks of him. Thus, the description actually in the friend's mind is accidental. The essential point is that he knows that the various descriptions all apply to the same entity, in spite of not being acquainted with the entity in question. When we, who did not know Bismarck, make a judgment about him, the description in our minds will probably be some more or less vague mass of historical knowledge, far more, in most cases, than is required to identify him. But, for the sake of illustration, let us assume that we think of him as the first Chancellor of the German Empire. Here, all the words are abstract, except German the word German will again have different meanings for different people. To some, it will recall travels in Germany. To some, the look of Germany on the map, and so on. But if we are to obtain description which we know to be applicable, we shall be compelled at some point to bring in a reference to a particular with which we are acquainted. Such reference is involved in any mention of past, present, and future, as opposed to definite dates, or of here and there, or of what others have told us. Thus it would seem that in some way or other, a description known to be applicable to a particular must involve some reference to a particular with which we are acquainted. If our knowledge about the thing described is not to be merely what follows logically from the description. For example, The most long-lived of men is a description which must apply to some man, but we can make no judgments concerning this man which involve knowledge about him beyond what the description gives. If, however, we say, The first Chancellor of the German Empire was an astute diplomatist. We can only be assured of the truth of our judgment in virtue of something with which we are acquainted, usually a testimony heard or read. Considered psychologically, apart from the information we convey to others, apart from the fact about the actual Bismarck, which gives importance to our judgment, The thought we really have contains the one or more particulars involved, and otherwise consists wholly of concepts. All names of places, London, England, Europe, the Earth, the solar system, similarly involve, when used, descriptions which start from some one or more particulars with which we are acquainted. I suspect that even the universe, as considered by metaphysics, involves such a connection with particulars. In logic, on the contrary, where we are concerned not merely with what does exist, but with whatever might or could be, no reference to actual particulars is involved. It would seem that When we make a statement about something only known by description, we often tend to make our statement not in the form involving the description, but about the actual thing described. That is to say, when we say anything about Bismarck, we should like, if we could, to make the judgment which Bismarck alone can make, namely, the judgment of which he himself is a constituent. In this, we are necessarily defeated, since the actual Bismarck is unknown to us. But we know that there is an object B called Bismarck, and that B was an astute diplomatist. We can thus describe the proposition we should like to affirm. Namely, B was an astute diplomatist where B is the object which was Bismarck. What enables us to communicate, in spite of the varying descriptions we employ, is that we know there is a true proposition concerning the actual Bismarck, and that, however we may vary the description, so long as the description is correct, the proposition described is still the same. This proposition, which is described and is known to be true, is what interests us. But we are not acquainted with the proposition itself and do not know it, though we know it is true. It will be seen that there are various stages in the removal from acquaintance with particulars. There is Bismarck to people who knew him, Bismarck to those who only know of him through history, The man with the iron mask, and the longest lived of men. These are progressively further removed from acquaintance with particulars. And there is a similar hierarchy in the region of universals. Many universals, like many particulars, are only known to us by description. But here, as in the case of particulars, knowledge concerning what is known by description is ultimately reducible to knowledge concerning what is known by acquaintance. We'll stop here and come back for the rest of the essay in another episode. I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope that these insightful thoughts have served as a gentle companion on your journey to a restful slumber. Remember, This podcast is here whenever you need a moment of calm amidst the noise of life. If you found solace in tonight's episode, consider subscribing for notifications and following the Sleep Easy podcast. Feel free to share this soothing experience with your friends and loved ones who might also benefit from a tranquil escape. Our episodes are released every Thursday, ensuring that you have a consistent source of comfort whenever you seek it. And for those nights when sleep seems elusive, I'll be here, ready to accompany you on your quest for serenity. If you have thoughts, suggestions, or simply want to connect, visit the thesleepeasypodcast.com. Your feedback is invaluable as we continue to craft content tailored to your relaxation needs. Good night.